days when Anglo-Russian diplomatic relations fluctuate, the first pictures of Field Marshal Montgomery's visit to Moscow serve to remind us that when ordinary Englishman meets ordinary Russian, misunderstandings disappear, and it is merely a meeting of citizens of the world with common interests and common hopes. Pictures of inside the Kremlin are rarely allowed. Let us hope that their release is a sign that the barriers between our two nations are coming down and that Monty's visit will herald closer relations. With Stalin, Monty got on remarkably well. Here, the Russian commentator introduces them. This meeting with Generalissimo Stalin was the climax to a series of lavish receptions given by the Soviet to Britain's military ambassador. At this meeting with the Generalissimo, Field Marshal Montgomery decided to put on his gift from the Russian army of a new hat and fur-lined greatcoat. Russian generals are returning his visit shortly. We shall be pleased to welcome them. Hello and welcome to the History Emporium and Powers podcast. Also, hello from a slightly under the weather podcast host. So if my voice sounds slightly off, that'll be why. Every time I go to records with Jackson, I'm ill, so I'm blaming him. Um, <laughs> sorry, Jackson. That's all right. <laughs> I, I am joined by Jackson from History with Jackson. Not the album History by Michael Jackson, but History with Jackson. Yeah, I think I'm much better looking than Michael Jackson as well, so that's, that's all good. Mm, debatable. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I'm joking, that would be the biggest insult ever, wouldn't it? Yeah, he went from, just uh, bring me on. Yeah, he just, yeah, strange, strange looking chap, wasn't he? Um, anyway, we're not here to talk about Michael Jackson, we're here to talk about Stalin. Um, uh, so this episode is going to be split into two. So I'm going to be covering uh, an overview of young Stalin and Jackson will be covering the latter days of Stalin. Now, Jackson's history uh, degree has um, led him down the route of, of, of a lot more detail than I will probably ever be able to bring you. So you are our resident expert today, Jackson. Oh, thank you very much. First time I've had that, that compliment paid to me. No pressure. <laughs> At all. Looking forward to it. There's loads of pressure. No, <laughs> Um... So I'm, I'm going to kick off with, with the research that I've done. Um, I got most of my information from a book called Young Stalin. Now, I can't for the life of me remember who it's by because I've not got it written down in front of me. Simon, Simon Seabag Montefiore. There you go. I think that was it. Yeah. it was. Uh, it's a complex name, isn't it? But um, I like it. Yeah. I like it. Really interesting book, actually, because we see... Um, Stalin, the dictator, and you—you've always seen them, sort of really famous, either portraits or photographs, of Stalin, sort of looking a bit older, a bit dumpy, with his moustache. But when he was younger, he was a handsome man. I tell you that for a fact. Um, he was a very good-looking man, and sort of how he got to where he was, what regardless of what he did or, or whether you sort of like him or loathe him, like it was quite impressive. Um, 
So, Stalin was born in 1879. Um, he was uh, brought up and born in Georgia. Um, and he didn't know his father, although it was rumoured that his father was a priest. Um, the, the streets of Georgia that he kind of were brought up on were, were known to be quite tough. Um, it was quite a hard life. Um, Stalin witnessed like beatings of his mother and also took a fair few beatings himself by his stepfathers. I say fathers because there was more than one. <laughs> um, uh, his his family was quite um, uh, it wasn't a conventional family. It was quite chaotic. Um, he was really poor. Um, he was bullied. Um, however, he had a really strong, determined personality, which is you'll you'll see this thread going through this as he grows up to become the person that he is. Um, so. He he had this really, although he was bullied, he had this really strong uh, personality and would often see people as disposable commodities. So if someone got in his way for whatever he wanted, then he'd quite happily beat on them or uh, get other kids to do it. Or, yeah, he, he didn't have compassion for people that were kind of in his way um, or had done him wrong. So, you can kind of see that path, really, can't you? Yeah, yeah. Ab- just... Absolutely, absolutely. But as we know, there's more than one side to every person. So um, Stalin, believe it or not, had a really gentle side. Um, he was quite a timid kid, even though he was quite determined. So he was more of a, uh, a guy that would sort of sit on the sideline and... Um, He'd fight back, but he would normally get other people to do stuff for him, um, which is why he became such a good um, comrade leader, I guess, um, became so powerful. Um, He was said to love beautiful things, so that could be beautiful women, um, mountains, nature. Um, He had a real soft spot for for beautiful things, because I think he was was brought up in, in this rough kind of area so he kind of took solace in nature which you don't associate with Stalin at all do you no 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 it's definitely not one of those you know you don't think Stalin the great conservationist really do you no so. no definitely not definitely not but as I mean I've spoke spoke uh, about other people on podcasts and, and people are so non-one-dimensional so people are normally defined by an act that they've done or by a party that they've led or by um, uh, sort of events in their lives. But there's, as we know, there's so much more to people than just one thing. Um, so it doesn't surprise me that um, he had this love for nature, um, as do uh, Kim Jong-un, I believe, loves nature. Um, yes, very much and so. basketball well i didn't know that one that's new to me yeah he's he's like really good friends with dennis rodman which is just <laughs> that's completely mental. and utterly bizarre that is mental well you learn something new every day yeah <laughs> that is mad actually that's funny um so uh georgia as a place was taken over by russia it was part of the russian empire um, when he was at school, they were banned from speaking Georgian. Um, he he basically he was so 
So, so the way that you got into school, there were a lot of religious schools. It was on merit rather than, um, uh, so so it was like merit and, and wealth. So he he took some exams and stuff, and he did really well. So he got in to this um religious school, um. So he basically got on there on merit alone because he there was no money in that family at all. Um, he so, so despite I guess all this trauma that he had, sort of growing up by by being beaten up as a child, and and witnessing his mother who he absolutely idolised, like I think that's probably one of the only women that he truly respected um, was his mother. Um. So he, he he kind of he had all this trauma, but he took refuge in books. Uh, when when all of this stuff was going on, so it helped him develop intellectually and and possibly more so than his fellow uh like students. Um, Stalin uh, was a proud Georgian, and he he would never ever say that he was Russian ever. He was very much proud to be a Georgian, um, but he fully embraced the Russian culture, um, even to the point that he got a teacher. Now, he's in his teens at this point. He got a teacher beaten up for speaking Georgian when the Russian uh, Federation had sort of said, no, <laughs> you need to speak Russian. So he was very much... Uh, he kind of felt part of that Russian family, even though he was a proud Georgian. But can you imagine getting your teacher beaten up for like speaking a different language? Yeah, it's like so backwards and bizarre. Mm. Like it is, <laughs> isn't just, it? Yeah, I just can't imagine going. I I don't I don't like him. So mm. I mean, it, it happened in England and Wales as well, especially um, uh, sort of during the. I want to say there's. 1800s, 1700s, 1800s. Um, the Welsh language was banned, basically. And if you spoke Welsh, you would get beaten. Um, oh, cross. Which is terrible, isn't it? Um, yeah. But yeah, so Stalin, like. Stalin had his teacher beaten up for speaking Georgian. Um, Stalin was also a lover of music. Now we've we've spoke about this slightly on the death of Stalin, the film review that we did. Um, and it shows a bit of Stalin right at the beginning of that film, very much being into his music. Um, yeah. He was also said to have a beautiful voice. So in his youth, believe it or not, Joseph Stalin, the dictator, was in a choir. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, wow. Yeah. But whilst he was doing that, on the flip side, he was also in gangs. So... He was singing in church, but he was also like robbing people and stabbing them. Um, he first <laughs> he firstly joined these gangs as, as kind of what you did, um, and then he began leading them. Um, uh, you got, bear in mind he's still in his early teens at this point, um, and he basically became a, a, a petty criminal. Um, there's this one particular occasion that he. Um, he was out on a, a, a spree and um, he got knocked down by a coach driver and it almost killed him. Um, he was in Jeez. hospital for months afterwards. 
and they genuinely didn't think he was going to pull through. Um, he he did never fully heal physically, and he had a limp, a slight limp for the rest of his life because of this. Um, which is interesting because I went back and started watching some videos of him, and you can see it slightly. Um, when he is doing his speeches or he's walking from one place to another. Um, but yeah, it was all because... Yeah, that... of... Sorry, go on. Yeah, that wouldn't have been cheap either at that point. Like, there's no universal healthcare. That was still, like, a relatively new thing in the 1900s. Mm. So, like, especially with the way Tsarist Russia was, that would have been quite expensive for such a poor family Yeah, absolutely. pay for. Absolutely. So he had um, this sort of strange relationship with what of of who they thought his dad was it was a priest but they were ne- he was never quite sure he was never quite told but um kind of money would would turn up so i don't know if it was silence money it was money to keep them quiet um because obviously priests should not be having sex with just strangers on the street do you know what i mean like um yeah. especially producing children so i guess to kind of shut them up, there was money kind of shoved that way to to to, to keep him quiet. I mean, he there was I, I I don't have his name to hand, but there was two two candidates basically that could have been his dad. He was never quite sure, um, which is I I find a lot of these stories and a lot of these people that have have, have sort of grown up to have. Uh, like been in a position of power or or there's something slightly twisted about them it all comes from childhood trauma which he obviously yeah. had um here and he was living in the mean streets of georgia now i've never been to georgia i don't know what it's like <laughs> don't know no i don't know what it's like now i don't know what it was like then um but yeah he he had a limp because of his uh the the coach basically running over him um, yeah, the thing is, like kids are cruel. Like that wouldn't have, like that wouldn't have gone down very well. No. For him, because no. c- just kids are horrible and cruel at some points, especially yeah. with things like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I think he he was quite bullied. Although people feared him, and it's like he was one of those kids. I can imagine that was like the silent but violent type. Do you know what I mean? He would yeah. sit sit and watch. For a long time before he sort of struck um, and he held a grudge and he would never let that go um, which you'll see later on down the line I mean he took no prisoners at no. all well he took many prisoners but he took no one to, <laughs> no one um, no one got in his way and if they did get in his way like God help you um, around the same time he became uh, disgruntled by religion um, and he saw hard-working poor people in, like, a really unfair society, in an unfair position, which is where kind this kind of began his sort of allegiance and his lifelong um, pledge to socialism and communism. Um, he began to uh, write about what he thought, about his alliance with socialism, um, he began to write poetry, and he actually became really successful as a poet. Now, <laughs> I know, this is mad. Um, so he uh, he had some of his work published as a poet, and was actually really successful in Georgia. 
He's not even 20 that's, by this point. That's It's so weird to look at, you know, each of the dictators across the, the early 20th century mm. have all got this, like, artsy flair. Well, like Hitler Mussolini was an artist, was, wasn't he? Yeah. yeah. Mussolini was a journalist. Yeah. Lenin, he wrote an awful lot. It's just very... It's so weird. Like, Mao was a librarian. So. Yeah, it's absolutely mad, isn't it? So, so some of his work was published in Georgia. Now, I wanted to go look it up. I haven't yet, but I, I will, definitely. Um, so, as I said earlier, like his school was a religious one. Um, the school was basically there to train boys to become priests. Um, there was this particular priest called, uh, in quotation marks, Black Spot, who was always on Stalin's case. I think he kind of knew that there was something a bit off about this child, potentially something a bit evil. Now, I don't know if you've seen Harry Potter Jackson. Yeah, and I definitely I, have. And I am going to make a comparison here. <laughs> so there's um, there's some scenes in Harry Potter, uh, I believe it's the, the Chamber of Secrets, where um, Tom Riddle, the, the boy that becomes Voldemort, um, or, sorry, who is Voldemort, um, the teachers kind of, they know there's something off about him, but they can't quite put their finger on it. And then he becomes this massive um, sort of feared dictator. That's, I just, I, I very much saw that in my head when I was, when I was reading this. Um, that, so I think that's why this, this priest is kind of on his case. Um, Stalin openly started talking about atheism, which was like blasphemy at the time. Um, he was talking about um, uh, Marxism. Um, he joined the Socialist Workers' Party, um, which later became the Bolsheviks. Um, he basically never turned up to his exams to become a priest, just was like, fuck it, I ain't coming. <laughs> I ain't being a priest. I'm not doing this. Um, and then, strangely... Now, there is method to his madness here. So, strangely, he became a, a weatherman checking gauges and temperatures in an observatory. Um, now, this sounds like a really odd move, but because of the schedule of it, it allowed him to start revolutionary talks and hold meetings where he was working. Um, so, it's not uh. as mad as you think. Um, That's quite smart, actually. Mm. So everything he does is calculated. It's all planned, um, which is incredible um, for someone who's in his early 20s at this point. Um, he, uh, he said, he basically sort of, the way that he got people on his side is he said um, that if the working class supported him, he would then defend them in return. And that was kind of his motto sort of going forward. Um, and it worked. Like a lot of people got on side. Um, now, Stalin didn't invent socialism or the Bolsheviks or that. They were they were around anyway. Uh, Lenin was a couple of years older than Stalin. Um, and Lenin was someone that Stalin kind of looked up to. Um, uh, so after this, after the weatherman sort of scenario, he um, he got a job under the Rothschilds uh, and the Rothschilds were seen as, and still are 
by conspiracy theory yeah, people <laughs> and that are seen as run it like rulers of the world they run the world they're in everything um but again this was a strategic move because stalin was um under because it was a symbolism it was the biggest symbolism of capitalism he was planning on destroying them from the inside so he got in there and then he started getting the workers on his side um which again is incredibly clever for someone who's in his early 20s um now this is when stalin uh gets into a bit of trouble and he gets exiled to siberia for revolutionary activity um so uh exile was kind of the preferred means of punishment under czarist russia so you were basically being sent away like stop being a pain off you go never come back however <laughs> this happened a lot to stalin and he always found his way back <laughs> always um now the the numbers uh sort of vary from six to seven but i'm gonna go with seven so stalin was actually exiled seven times and many of the times that he escaped would he'd be in drag so he'd dress up as a woman just to get out again and it works like every single time um you would have thought they'd catch on at that Siberia is so big isn't it they can't um, yeah they can't uh i suppose they can't man the whole area um which is yeah which is why he made returns so much but every time he returned he returned more powerful um so it kind of (laughs) went against Tsarist Russia and obviously we know the Bolsheviks ended up killing the Tsars um, and their family Um, I think what's quite important to to note about this time is that Alexander III and Alexander II whilst one was a little bit more liberal they still had their own secret police Mm. they still had like they they weren't nice they were one of the most authoritarian um, monarchies across across Europe at that point they weren't Mm. They weren't a pleasant, like parliamentary monarchy. They were an absolute monarchy that relied upon czarism, autocracy, orthodoxy, and there is another pillar, but I've completely forgotten it. But yeah, they they were quite harsh. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. It, the revo- revolution was in the air, um, and it it was kind of at this point that Lenin and Stalin like. Well, mainly Lenin had had become to, uh, he he was he was now aware of Stalin. Um, Lenin was only a sl- only slightly older than um, Stalin. Not much. I, I, it, before I started doing this research, I assumed that there was a whole generation between them, but there's not. Yeah. There's a couple a couple of years, four or five years, something like that, between them. Oh. Um, which I didn't know either. Uh, but Lenin and Stalin are for completely different stock. So Lenin was from a very well-off family, um, and when he so Lenin was exiled as well, um, but when Lenin was exiled, he was basically exiled in the comfort of, um, like, uh, like luxury travel, luxury coaches. He was put up in hotels. Do you know what I mean? It wasn't like Stalin had to slum it. <laughs> like he yeah, was, it wasn't it off was, the Siberia or anything. Yeah, so yeah, exactly. He was it, it was very different. Although although 
Lenin was seen as a revolution revolutionary at first. He was also part of the bourgeoisie, like he was he was part of their club. Um which made it even more bizarre because why that's very strange for Lenin to just kind of turn his back on his own class. Because basically what he was trying to do is destroy that, destroy everything that he had or he knew so that it was distributed under communist rules, which is very bizarre. Um, and But Stalin was doing it because he'd seen poverty and he'd seen the unfairness in society. So it's very strange how they became sort of intertwined. Um, so Stalin basically idolised Lenin, regardless of where he came from. He thought he was the shit, basically. He thought he was the best thing ever. Um, and he would basically do anything to get noticed by him. Um, uh, Lenin did become aware of Stalin. He was a little bit intimidated at first because Stalin was a bit of a hothead. Um, he uh, he would make very snap decisions. He would um, he would not necessarily think everything through, or he'd be a bit too forceful. Um, Lenin famously quoted that Stalin had more power than he could handle and he might be dangerous if he was to be my successor that kind of changed over time as they became more friendly but I think at first it was quite standoffish because they were they were they were from two different sort of backgrounds really um so at this point Jackson I kind of just wanted to talk about because I got confused here, so I kind of wanted to spell it yeah. out for the li- for the listeners. So, um, <laughs> it so there were the the there were the Bolsheviks and there were the Mensheviks. So yes. the Bolsheviks believed in radical and elitist revolution, whereas uh, the Mensheviks supported a more progressive change in collaboration with the middle class. So, um, they. At, at first, the Bolsheviks and the Mensheviks worked together to to get their their communist goal, but then there was a complete split in the in the party, um, and and that's how they kind of they kind of formed. Now, the Mensheviks, a lot of them did convert to to become Bolsheviks, um, but only by force because the Bolsheviks yeah. had more power than they did. Um, it. I, I it's guess a very. It's, sorry, go on. Yeah, that's why it's a very uneasy time because you have the overthrows, like overthrowing the Tsars, and then that short-lived provincial government with Kerensky. Mm. Uh, but you also like you have the emerging middle class in Russia, where you have the Mensch- the idea of Menshevism comes in, uh, where working with the middle class to eradicate that that top level, yeah, so that everything's a little bit more fair. And then you also have, you know, you have the Bolsheviks, like we just said, who believe in that revolutionary vanguard to protect the revolution for the working class to get to that proletariat uh, or dictatorship of the proletariat. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. It was a it was a complex time. There was a lot going on, and 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 uh, fractions. I mean, you see it now, don't you? Like fractions in parties. This is why I have a real big problem with like aligning myself with one party 
because um you, you kind of you kind of fall under that one bracket and whatever they say and whatever you they do you've kind of got to go along with um yeah which is it's... i find hard to do that because there be some parties that do things that i agree with and some that i don't it's really hard um i'm not i would never be like something until i die do you know what i mean <laughs> yeah um, yeah it's it's a lot. It's a lot more tribal now, but there's still those fence fit, sense there uh, sense fitters, fence sitters mm. who you know see the good in all of the arguments. Uh, it's a lot less like football where you kind of you're Arsenal till you die. Uh, you're not necessarily you know Labour or Conservative or Lib Dem till you die. No, no, which I don't think is necessarily a bad thing. But um, yes, um, I want to take this opportunity to talk about. Stalin and his time in London because we spent a little bit of time here in the south of, of England um, so I just wanted to mention three sort of areas of London that he sort of hung around in and you can still see to this day um, so you've got Tower House which is now luxury flats but this building in Whitechapel was once a Doss House so a Doss House for anyone that doesn't know is a, a a poor house, basically, where you could you could get a bed for the night, um, kind of like a hostel, but like a really grim, grim hostel. Um, <laughs> yeah. So uh, Stalin stayed here um, for two weeks in nineteen oh seven, um, and there was a Russian Congress in London, um, and believe George Orwell also stayed here at different times, but in the same place. Um, which is ironic because George Orwell was for money, and Stalin wasn't. So, but George Orwell was doing his research for for books and that. I'm guessing. Um, yeah, and it's it's also it's also interesting that it's it's ironic now that it's you know these luxury flats, but mm. it's ironic that the link between Orwell and Stalin is there because Orwell just completely criticised the Soviet system so much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you can see that in like. 1984 and stuff there's definitely links um to sort of soviet powers in that book um like eurasia and whatever it is i can't remember now um (laughs) yeah you know what i mean um yeah so another property uh, again in whitechapel um is 69 new street uh so this was once a radical bookshop from where um uh, speakers would gather um, and they would hear about the struggle for freedom and this is where the original discussion of getting rid of Tsar Nicholas II was held um, oh. in London, yeah uh, and the thing is you, you, you like this socialism communism thing wasn't just happening in Russia, it was happening everywhere there were branches of it in the UK um England, Ireland, Scotland, Wales. It was it was all over Europe as well. Um, I think we forget about that, but they were there, and they some of them still are. So there is a there is a there is a presence still there. Um, obviously not to the extreme that it was, but yeah, it's still still there. Some of the original buildings and stuff um, you can still visit, um, and there was. Um, a place called Fulburn Street. Um, so this 
the building is no longer there, but on the corner of this building, it was the registration place for the 1907 Russian Congress. So over 400 radicals from the likes of Russia, Poland, Latvia. Um, uh, you've got to remember Whitechapel is very much a, um, in quotation marks, foreign area of London. Um, and it's where people would have registered their interest in supporting Russia. And uh, Stalin was there as well. So, yeah, it's really interesting. Like, you don't associate Stalin with London, but he was there for a bit. So, yeah. I mean, well, I didn't know of, that. So that's... Yeah, yeah, interesting, isn't it? Interesting. Um, that kind of leads me uh, to the end of my little overview of Stalin as a, as a young gent. Подписали в Берлине 